Hey, hey, constant listeners. We meet again in that magical space we call the far middle. Big episode this week on an important topic, maybe one of the most important we've covered in the past few years of the far middle. So let's roll, starting with our sports dedication. Dedication is going to tie to our first airing date of October the 4th. Two notables occurred on October 4 in Major League Baseball. In 2001, on the 4th of October, the Giants slugger Barry Bonds, he hits his 70th home run in a win versus the Astros, and that ties Mark McGuire for the most Major League Baseball home runs in a single season. And then last year in 2022, on October 4th, the Yankees hitter Aaron Judge, he breaks Roger Maris's American League single-season home run record, and also, I suppose, the Yankees' single-season home run record when he slams his 62nd homer in a loss against the Rangers down in Arlington, Texas. Now, most baseball fans, they look at these twin milestones and they're thinking positive thoughts, popular records being broken, and exciting thoughts as well, since both involve the most exciting play in baseball, which, of course, is the home run. But I see it differently. I see both the 2001 and 2022 October 4th events being illustrations of the changing nature of the game itself, an evolution toward making what was once exceptional, the home run, the norm, an evolution that consisted of rules changes and juiced baseballs, and sometimes juiced players, if you get my drift, shorter distances in stadiums from home plate to the fence, um, lower pitching mounds to give the hitter advantage, and a business that paid more for the deep ball hitter than any other type of player. Stacking the deck effectively for a favored intended outcome. Baseball got exactly what it wanted in terms of marketing and clicks and instant gratification and a desired outcome for its product that purposely inflated one aspect of the game while demoting other aspects of the game. And I would argue by also demoting the essence of the game. Yeah, baseball went from a competitive survival the fittest game where the best rose to the top into something different, something that I would call more manufactured entertainment. And baseball managed to pull it off while keeping most of us convinced it was still a competitive survival of the fittest game. Genius, I suppose, from the perspective of selling a story and for profitability, but damaging to a true fan of the traditional game and its legacy. Bonds, McGuire, Judge, all breaking records for home runs. You can add Sammy Sosa to that list and all of that occurring in a very short period of time. Think about how they got there. All those rule changes, performance enhancers for at least some of those names, actually for three of the four. The game of baseball today is more of a manufactured show designed to deliver maximum home runs for the viewing audience pleasure. So our dedication for episode 124 goes to the home run record breakers of October 4th in 2001 and in 2022, and how they were the products of manufacturing desired outcomes by stacking the deck and altering the purity of a classic sport into something that is more contrived and more packaged. It's something we've been conditioned to accept and to buy into. Which brings us to this week's topic. We continue with the recent episode format of immersing, diving deep into a singular big issue. And this is the fifth such episode in a row, and I appreciate all the feedback on these recent week's episodes. Now let's make our first connection to that sports dedication of favoring the optics and the manufactured outcomes over the substantive and the competitively rational ones. 
Sports used to be about the latter, but increasingly sports are now about the former, as evidenced by baseball and the home run. And sports are not alone in that regard. And that presents a serious problem because it's one thing when this is done in the business that is sports, or perhaps more accurately, what we'd call sports entertainment. But it's an altogether different and a more sinister thing when done to harm a life-sustaining industry and to do so by developing and encouraging misleading storylines about human health. Storylines that are not based on objective fact and designed to do more harm than good. That is what is happening with the natural gas industry in communities in Appalachia these days. A ground game fabricating a storyline of the natural gas industry hurting residents, causing asthma, causing childhood cancers, and harming newborns. Disgusting and baseless accusations to achieve the goal of vilifying and ultimately taking down a noble and societally crucial endeavor, that of domestic energy. And in the process, hurting the very region and communities the opportunists claim to look after the interests of. It rolls together many elements and themes that we've discussed throughout the Far Middle Archives. Many of these are going to sound familiar because these tactics are applied time and again by the left and their cohorts in the environmental movement, media, and academia. That long game of attack and deception that works so well, unfortunately. This past August, the University of Pittsburgh, or Pitt, released the results of its studies on public health impacts from natural gas development in southwestern Pennsylvania. Now, the effort took years, and the results were much anticipated in these parts. But the studies, they left much to be desired and suffered from fatal design flaws, many of them self-inflicted by the research team, despite having the benefit of a $2.6 million taxpayer budget for the effort. Nevertheless, the studies found no causation that would link natural gas development to health problems. And interestingly, when you look at what they could have stated, because that's another way of saying that natural gas development doesn't cause the health problems assessed, the study refused to put it that way. I thought that said a lot. And the biggest bombshell findings were very weak, and in one case, a nonsensical association of natural gas development to two discrete health issues. No smoking guns identified, but you wouldn't know it from how things went and how the study's release went afterward. Because the rollout in the presentation of the study's findings, or the lack thereof of any findings, were staged during and presented after the event to garner maximum emotion, speculation, innuendo, and vilification of the natural gas industry. An all too often occurrence in media and academia today. We'll see how the objective and substantive science and data, they get pushed aside in favor of an opaque and speculative statistical exercise that was used to stoke that emotion and create that uncertainty, not dispel it. And with the health of kids and residents used as if they were discardable tools. Why? To further an ideological agenda against natural gas development and to feed resources to institutions building business models around that very agenda. To understand why what I just said is true, let's connect to what's happened over the years prior to these recent pit studies from this past summer. Substantial research has been conducted by numerous organizations on the impacts of natural gas development on public health. The studies yielded unexpected results for those wanting to link 
shale development with human health risks. The expected risks, they've not materialized. And efforts to find clear causation of natural gas development on health risk, they've come up short. Consider the massive body of scientific work and measurement performed on point prior to this summer. In the then largest study of its kind, in 2015, a Yale-led investigation found no evidence that trace contamination of organic compounds in drinking water wells near the Marcellus Shale in northeastern Pennsylvania came from deep hydraulic fracturing shale horizons, or that it came from underground storage tanks, or that it came from well casing failures, or from surface waste containment ponds. The Yale study was followed up by a Duke-led effort in 2017 to assess the impacts of natural gas development on groundwater in northern West Virginia. Now, the Duke study reported that there was a clear indication for the lack of groundwater contamination and subsurface impact from shale drilling and hydraulic fracturing. And the trace metals that are associated with the potential health impacts also showed no correlation with proximity to shale gas activities. 2018, that was a very busy year for scientific studies of the potential impacts of natural gas development on human health of local residents. That year, the University of Cincinnati assessed the risk of methane making its way into groundwater in the Utica Shale region of eastern Ohio. The Cincinnati study showed no relationship between methane concentration or source in groundwater and proximity to active gas well sites. The study, interestingly, did, however, show a decrease in methane concentration in some regularly monitored wells during the study period, and it also found a pH and conductivity. They didn't change as shale gas drilling increased, and it didn't change with distance to the nearest shale gas well. And the data did not indicate intrusion of high conductivity, low pH frac fluids. All of that is really good news, but not what the environmental movement was hoping for. Also in 2018, within Pennsylvania, the Department of Environmental Protection, the DEP, the Department of Health, the DOH, they both conducted extensive studies and issued reports that concluded Marcellus shale emissions. They didn't exceed national ambient air quality standards limits. And then exposure to ambient air, it's not expected to be harmful to healthy citizens in southwestern Pennsylvania who live close to natural gas activity. The estimated additional lifetime cancer risks in this study, they were deemed to be very low from exposure to natural gas activity. And monitoring sites in the study measured significantly fewer air quality index days that were worse than good versus local comparison sites. The air quality index at the monitoring sites near a natural gas facility, they were markedly better over the course of the year than other monitoring sites around the region. And then 2018 saw a third study, this one from Penn State, of groundwater in rural regions of Pennsylvania, Bradford County, to be specific, where natural gas development is present. That study found only rare instances of possible gas contamination amid an overall trend of improving water quality despite heavy Marcellus shale development. The uh, Penn State researchers, they saw possible contamination by natural gas in only 0.5% of the nearly 1,400 shale wells studied in heavily drilled Bradford County. And the remaining water chemistry data highlighted the groundwater either improved 
or remain level from samples taken prior to the 1990s. And uh, there's a really good quote from this Penn State study that I'll read to you. Quote, the most interesting thing we discovered was the groundwater chemistry in one of the areas most heavily developed for shale gas, an area with 1,400 new gas wells, does not appear to be getting worse with time and may even be getting better. Now, that was a quote from the director of Penn State's Earth and Environmental Systems Institute. So the data and science, they were compelling across Appalachia when it came to the natural gas industry not adversely impacting health. You had Yale, Duke, University of Cincinnati, the Pennsylvania Department of Health in Penn State, which is about as compelling as one can imagine to establish that responsible natural gas development, it does not harm and indeed benefits the health and quality of life of people living in Western Pennsylvania or within Appalachia. And that was much to the chagrin of the environmental movement. Then came the recent pit studies from this past summer. And as I said, they spanned years and millions of dollars in expenditures. And once again, to be clear, the pit efforts showed no causation, only a limited, highly questionable association between natural gas development and a pair of discrete health issues. And in the world of statistics, it's important to understand and be able to differentiate the difference between association and causation. So two variables, they may be associated without a causation relationship. So let me give you an example. Um, there is a statistical association, if you plot this out over time for a number of years, between the number of people who drown by falling into a pool and the number of films that Nicolas Cage appeared in for that same given year. However, there's obviously no causation relationship of one versus the other. Now, when you look at causation, on the other hand, that means that the exposure does indeed produce the effect. The pit studies, they didn't find any causation between unconventional shale development and any of the health risks that were studied. Instead, the researchers made proximal associations using skewed measurements, and they didn't attempt to account for key environmental and other factors that have proven to have impacts on health. Studies relied on a very limited proximity metric, which doesn't identify any exposure pathways, and it assumes constant emissions, and it ignores all kinds of critical factors. It ignores weather, work, um, it ignores air dispersion, lifestyle choices, and it also ignores known existing hazards. In addition, the studies assumed all natural gas wells, and this is using the study's terminology, are created equal, which of course they are not. Despite these design metrics flaws and the limitations on key information, the pit studies, again, they confirmed no association to adverse birth impacts, no association to Ewing sarcoma, and no association to other bone cancers. And this is a quote from the Pitt researchers. No evidence was found to support an association between exposures to natural gas activities and other environmental factors and the risk of leukemia, central nervous system tumors, and malignant bone tumors, including Ewing's family of tumors. Again, that's a quote from the Pitt researchers. There was one cancer association highlighted, that for lymphoma. But the lymphoma association correlation was extremely low and underscored the limited methodologies employed 
And again, no causation from natural gas development for lymphoma was ever established. Asthma was also focused upon with these studies, and asthma exacerbations were not linked with proximity to wells in pad preparation or in drilling activities or with hydraulic fracturing phases, regardless of how close wells were to the homes or the number of wells nearby. The only association claimed by the researchers was to the production phase of a pad when little to no activity occurs on the pad and emissions are minimal at best. That makes little sense, but again, it just underscores the fool's errand of the study methodology and approach along with the associated design flaws. Basically nonsense in, nonsense out. Ironically, Pitt's own research, by the way, prior to these recent studies, that research showed a decline in severe asthma despite significant natural gas production increases across the study period. Air quality in western Pennsylvania as a region is generally improved with PM 2.5 particulate matter, which is also a known asthma trigger, declining in the eight-county study area to well below national ambient air quality standards. And that's according, by the way, to the EPA itself. Now, reviewing the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America's Most Challenged Places to Live with Asthma, that's a report that they put out. Looking at that, it informs that no region within the study area of southwestern Pennsylvania, including the city of Pittsburgh, by the way, with natural gas development falls into the top 20. But within Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Allentown, and Harrisburg, each of those three locations, they do fall within the top 20 of being most challenging places to live with asthma. And the studies looked at birth weights, too. The Pitt researchers found birth weights remain in the normal healthy range and no association to other adverse birth outcomes. Um, with birth weights in normal range, fluctuations, using their terminology, pose little health risks. And one association, by the way, was found with natural gas activity and birth weights, about a one ounce difference in birth weight. But again, as the researchers pointed out, the about one ounce difference posed little health risk. These pit studies from the summer, they suffer from fundamental limitations in design and methods that when you couple those with how the findings were presented to the public, it raised anxiety that was unwarranted by actual data. So despite that $2.6 million budget, the researchers, they never visited shale gas sites. They refused opportunities to do so. They didn't take air or water samples, and they didn't generate any new original data or measurements. Basically, statistical speculation trumped actual measurement. Now, if researchers had spent time in the field and within the natural gas industry, they would have been able to see how natural gas development in Pennsylvania is safe and well-regulated and produced here better than anywhere else in the world. And just to add some emphasis, uh, in a question and answer document regarding the research studies, the Pennsylvania Department of Health cautioned, and I'm going to quote them here, Establishing cause-effect relationship in environmental studies is very difficult. In many cases, it is also not generally feasible to be able to gather information on or understand all the possible factors that may impact health, such as genetics, other exposures over a lifetime, and lifestyle factors that may impact the health outcome in question, end quote. Now, another piece of irony here, Pitt's own data on asthma in Western Pennsylvania it showed a 50% decline of severe asthma cases between 2014 and 2020, 
even as natural gas production in the study region increased by over 200%. Now, Pitt failed to present this data to the public this summer or to explain why they labeled all asthma cases in the summer studies as severe when other public health authorities categorize asthma as mild, moderate, or severe. So without explanation, the Pitt study breaks for medical research norms by labeling all three levels of asthma as severe. You can only wonder why. And consider the money trail to assess who benefits from the wild speculation that ensues. Little if any new empirical research was conducted in the studies, and of the 2.6 million in taxpayer funds spent on the studies, one and a half million went to pay salaries and benefits of the researchers, and another $932,000 went for various unspecified administrative fees. Pitt made a lot of money with this effort, and it stands to make much more money. Using, of course, the natural gas industry and community residents as useful instruments to keep the funding flowing. And then a concerning lack of transparency stokes more concern about how the study was performed. Researchers failed to adhere to the provisions of the taxpayer-funded contract, which required it to conduct a public forum on at least an annual basis um, to advise on the status of the ongoing studies and, by extension, to gain some input from the stakeholders that would be affected by the studies. So despite claiming that it would, quote, welcome open and collaborative conversations, end quote, it appears that no open or collaborative conversations were ever held, either with the advisory board or with interested public stakeholders. And then again, oddly, with respect to asthma, um, the Pitt researchers, they excluded residents of the city of Pittsburgh, which was within a study area, from their study population, even though, again, it falls within that eight-county study region. And many of its residents um, live close by natural gas industry activity. Now, no rational reason was offered for excluding Pittsburgh residents, but we do know through well-established research that the rate of asthma in urban areas is meaningfully higher than the rate of asthma in rural settings. And by removing Pittsburgh's population from the study group, including a control population that would be expected to have statistically higher asthma rates, the study skews the findings by failing to draw from that control population in a consistent manner across the study region. These inherent conflicts, um, the bias of the pit team, that connects us to another consideration. Reactions of various parties upon the release of the studies and how they provide a window into how this type of research has been co-opted to fulfill predetermined views of the natural gas industry by those opposed to it. The intent is to build a process that functions as a positive feedback loop with each subsequent link reinforcing the pre-desired outcome review. It's another example of that inside-out approach used by the left in environmental movements that we covered a few weeks ago in a prior episode. And ironically, the study authors, they clamor for additional research to explore more, yet actual measurements and data collected by government, regulatory agencies, and industry itself, they're ignored by those researchers predisposed to creating worst-case speculative scenarios to help propagate funding and to promote a desired storyline. By design, public sees only the alarmist headlines built off a of speculation of associations from basic and flawed assumptions and models, while of course ignoring actual measured data. Maddening to say the least. And the reactions to these much anticipated studies at the town hall where they were unveiled this summer, they were telling. Some reactions 
were frankly theatrical and prepared ahead of time. That's mostly from journalists and environmental group bureaucrats with uh, self-serving agendas. But there were others that were raw with emotion that was emanating from genuine anguish, parents experiencing personal loss and tragedy. And all the reactions, they were carefully commandeered by opportunists after the event to nurture that positive feedback loop. And constrained by the flaws of the study design, it's impossible to answer the questions of concerned residents. So those residents, they go away empty-handed without being told what's causing illnesses. And the researchers offered that this was only the beginning and the first step, both of which, of course, are code for justifying millions of dollars in additional expenditures to feed a machine dependent on fear and anxiety. The media plays a collaborative role in manufacturing all that emotion and bias. The news reports were what one commentator notably described as overwhelmingly sloppy with headlines and promoting outcomes that weren't explicit in the studies. So that uh, overwhelmingly sloppy is one, I guess, potential descriptor. My personal observation, I'll tell you, was that the media reporting was more of a calculatingly curated uh, version, but I guess we can we can differ on our descriptors. In many news outlets, they conveyed conclusions that were not made in the studies, which is unethical and I think bordering on legally actionable. So consider the following news headlines appearing after the August Town Hall presentation of the studies. First headline, study, asthma severity, rare childhood cancer likelier near gas wells. Second headline, Research suggests link between fracking, rare childhood cancers. Third headline, a Pennsylvania study suggests links between fracking and asthma, lymphoma in children. And then the last headline, is it safe to live here? Questions loom at presentation of reports on fracking and health in southwestern Pennsylvania. Most, of course, headline readers are going to read those, those headlines. They're going to come away with conclusions that the studies didn't conclude which is, I suppose, the objective of the journalists writing the headlines. Yet compare those headlines to what the studies and the researchers actually stated. So here's actual statements from the studies and researchers. The researchers were unable to say whether the drilling caused the health problems because the studies weren't designed to do that. But the researchers said they found no association between gas drilling and childhood leukemia, brain, and bone cancers. How about Limited evidence existed for a tie between gas extraction and central nervous system tumors. Or, but no relationship was found between fracking and leukemia. Similarly, results did not show a link between rare bone cancer and shale gas development that was statistically significant. Another sort of quote, the studies used a retrospective model, which looks back in time at participants' health instead of tracking patients in real time. And then here's another one. If you are just looking at the studies and trying to demonstrate some kind of causation and trying to say that this is the end-all, be-all of the situation, that is not what these studies are designed to do. Hey, welcome, constant listeners, to modern-day mainstream media in the arenas of domestic energy and environment. Let's now make a connection back to the reality. Time for a few doses of truth. Truth number one. The natural gas industry has a history of placing the safety of the community and workers as its top priorities, and that is a proud history. But you listen to those wishing to paint the natural gas industry in a bad light, and you soon pick up how they try to separate the community from the industry, which means it's time for truth number two. 
In Western Pennsylvania, the community is the industry and vice versa. Workers and leaders in the natural gas industry, they live in local communities, often near industry sites and facilities. Their kids drink the same water as other kids. Their parents breathe the same air as other seniors. Yet, the natural gas industry remains in the futile position of proving the negative when it comes to rebutting studies that were flawed and stacked for desired speculative outcomes from the get-go. But there are ways to transition the industry into establishing the reality using objective measured data. I believe it's imperative that the natural gas industry and others like it take proactive control of their own industries and their own communities' futures by establishing transparent, objective data, and thus making all that innuendo and all that rank speculation of the radical environmental movement, making it all obsolete. You know, an ounce of transparent, objective, and verifiable data, it's worth more than 2,000 pounds of speculation and innuendo driven by hopelessly flawed statistical models that uh, sort of skew data. The former provides assurances and answers the relevant stakeholders of residents and communities deserve, and the latter, that only serves the interests of those looking to profit off the backs of a noble industry in those same residents and communities. Time for the community, industry, and residents alike to take control of their own futures and to stop reinforcing and feeding the positive feedback loop of those looking to take us backward. We close with marking the death of one of the greatest in the history of art. That is the master Rembrandt, who died on our episode's first airing date, October 4th, back in 1669. Such a unique style to his work, one that any art novice, including myself, can instantly notice. And one of his early masterpieces was the anatomy lesson of Dr. Nicholas Tulp, which showed a doctor performing a dissection of a body to instruct other medical colleagues as they looked on. I think that this is a fitting final connection for this episode because what we've done is we dove deep on dissecting a process designed to create opportunity by stoking baseless innuendo when it comes to the health of residents and industries that drive quality of life in Western Pennsylvania. This episode in many ways served as an anatomy lesson consistent with the Rembrandt painting and its title, an unpacking dissection that exposes how things really work like the scene and the painting, and not of a cadaver of a deceased criminal, such as the one that's in the painting, but instead of the scheme that's run by the left and the radical environmental movement. Okay, onward doers, we'll meet up again in a week. <laughs>